Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Chuck Fletcher. Hi, my name is Olivia Young, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Bob Clark. Hey, you're listening to Snow the goalie. 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 Oh, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, people's podcast, players' podcast, prognosticators' podcast, PLA podcast, papers podcast, Pronger cast, Canoeble cast, the Fletcher cast. Let's be honest. Huh? A couple episodes ago. Not so bad. The Fletcher cast, the Homer cast. We got the Bobby Clark cast. Long ago, the Hextall cast. Many, many casts. The Only Flyers podcast. I'm Russ Joy on Twitter at Joy on Broad. That man over there who you can't see right now, although at some point we should put these on, on YouTube, is Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter and Instagram at Philly. And of course, this show is available over on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SnowTheGoalie and Facebook.com slash SnowTheGoalie. Anthony, this is uh, an interesting time. Oh yeah, it's a thrilling time, Russ. Right now is the um, the <laughs> what the hell do we talk about portion of the off season? Um, because it, we've gotten past free agency mostly. Um, there's a couple of guys who have to sign uh, their RFA deals. Um, some guys are going to end up in arbitration. You know, maybe you talk a little bit about that. Um, I guess we could, if you want to go outside the flyers, we could talk about the, uh, wild and crazy story of Evander Kane. Um, you know, that's kind of a, uh, hot button topic for the league. And I think for, for us too, because of all the gambling stuff that we do with crossing broad, but other than that, really it's, we're, we're now in the, the doldrums. We're now in the countdown six weeks to training camp kind of thing. And the next six weeks are going to be a lot like this. Um, uh, we, you know, we have some surprises, we have some things coming, but uh, at the same time, you know, uh, s- sitting at home on a summer Thursday evening, um, recording S- snow, the goalie doesn't old, doesn't have the same appeal that say it does mid February. Right. I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly. And I, I think it's a disservice to the wonderful listeners out there. The thousands of listeners. I, I think I sent you some recent metrics. The show is is booming. It's uh, it's some wild stuff. We've been going through rapid week over week growth and it was already solid to start, but just keeps getting better. And let me tell you that things are going to get even better in the not too distant future. I've seen people speculating, by the way, I got a bunch of DMs, especially over the last few days. Because I know that uh, a few people who formerly worked for NBC Sports Philadelphia have landed new gigs. Um, Some of them have been announced. Some of them have been hinted at. One of them I know has not been announced yet at all in any way. Uh, When that person is ready to to tell their story and talk about their new gig, um, 
former friend of the show. Well, still a friend of the show. Somebody who's been on this program before uh, landed a new gig. I'm sworn to secrecy, but really happy for this person. It's going to be an awesome job um, that they're taking on. We saw Katie Emmer went back to Minnesota. She got brought in by Bally Sports uh, to cover, I believe, a bunch of the North teams there in Minnesota. And I saw that friend of the program, Chris Tarian, said this past week that he has signed on with a a hockey podcast. So we wish him the very best. And I'm sure that at some point down the line, we'll have him on the show and he can talk to us about, uh, you know, the decision that that he made and and the show that he's on and, you know, why he he made that selection and stuff. So we wish him the best, obviously. So that's three people who have worked in the last year for NBC Sports Philadelphia who have landed on their feet, um, you know, within a year or less of being moved on from. And, you know, I I think that, you know, before we get into anything, it kind of speaks to the quality of people who were available at that station and the fact that they were able to land on their feet relatively quickly for the media industry is, um, well, it's pretty damning for NBC Sports Philadelphia, and it shows that they squandered talent that they had on air. So, hey, I'm happy for three people who, uh, who've who landed new gigs. It's pretty exciting stuff. Yep, I'm in agreement with, with you, Russ. That's, that is exciting. They're all good people, and uh, they all deserve uh, an opportunity to, um, you know, spread their wings and and have their their knowledge and expertise passed on to the public. Now, I do want to bring up something here as we get into this, because we solicited questions from people today. And it's not just because it's that point of the offseason where not a lot's happening. We don't need to really break down Dougie Hamilton choosing to go to the New Jersey Devils or what this necessarily means for the rest of the Metro. Like, we'll get there eventually. There's really no point to going into it today. We had a bunch of questions wide ranging on Twitter and Instagram um, talking about needs, who's going to be the 3C. RFA questions, Tarasenko, lineups, prospects, free agency, and a few other things that were not related to any of those topics. We got a couple of emails, which was nice, over at snowthegoalie at gmail.com with a bunch of questions as well. And we got a, well, I got, but I guess it was technically for both of us, a DM on Twitter. And I'm not going to share the person's name, but I thought this was pretty cool. And I thought that this would make you happy because we read a bunch of five-star reviews last week at the, the end of the episode, which, by the way, there was a hint at the end of that episode about a giveaway. I didn't pick the winner. I'll have the winner next week. But kudos to those of you who listen. And to those of you who didn't listen to the end of last week's podcast, you can certainly go back and listen and see if you can get yourself entered. But uh, interesting stuff. We had somebody who reached out this past week uh, to apologize, Anthony. Can you believe it? Somebody no. apologizing. Yeah. So we had somebody who, um, I think it was like months ago. It might have even been a year ago kind of went after the show, uh, went after us for the way that we covered things. And I'm not going to put the person's name out because did, I, I didn't check with them if they were fine with rewriting it, but I don't think they're going to care now. Um, but the, the person said, I was listening to the newest pod and you guys got me fired up to hear the announcement coming up. We've been saying that we've had some announcements coming up at some point in the near future. Um, person said, wanted to reach out because I was one of the Dick fans a couple of years back giving you guys a bad review in the comments. And it was more about being mad at a job I was at. But I got to say, since I caught wind of who you guys had on recently, I gave it a second chance and I'm glad I did. All caught up with it now. It's been helping me finally chip away at some home renovations, high energy, and I feel like I'm learning something. And then they challenged me to a game of uh, NHL 21 or NHL 20, whichever one I just bought. So I, I like to think that there are people 
when they come around to any show, sometimes you give something a, a, a listen through one time and you either write it off or you decide to stick with it. This person obviously wrote off what we were doing a year ago or two years ago and they came back around and it's pretty cool. And it's nice to see that somebody came back around. So I don't know. I thought that was nice. That's great. I mean, you know, it, it's good that, uh, you know, maybe some people who used to criticize what we do recognize um, that we're actually, you know, not as bad as, as you might think we are. And, oh, geez. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a place to go for information. So. All right. So let me drop uh, a couple of the emails that came in here. Go ahead. So the first one came from Sheila. She said, I really enjoy the Snow the Gully podcast. Oh, she- Flyers coverage. You remember that song? No. I, when, oh when was my that? God. You see, when was that? This is, this when is was pathetic. That? Now you're going to make me find it. Ugh. How long ago did the song come out? It, it it's probably in your lifetime, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe it came out right as you were born. Okay. Oh, I got to find it now. Well, listen, there was somebody who complained last week about the, the last episode and said that we were a couple of gatekeeping boomers for our analysis of what was happening with the Philadelphia Inquirer. So that's exciting stuff. All right. So anyway, this person, uh, Sheila said, really enjoying Snow the Goalie podcast and your Flyers coverage. I'm happy and excited about the Flyers offseason moves. Anxious to see how these guys play in the upcoming season. As an observation question I have, with the turnover in personnel and changes to the locker room, it appears we're moving to an Elaine Vigneault, Kevin Hayes-centric team. How do you think that's being received by Giroux and possibly Couturier? And do you anticipate any problems in the locker room moving forward? I think the changes were drastically needed. I just wonder how the existing core will react and perform. Thanks, Sheila. Thanks for sending us an email, Sheila. Yeah, thanks for the email, Sheila. I, I, I don't think it changes the locker room dynamic at all. I mean, just because you you bring in a couple of people um, uh, who Kevin Hayes particularly has a pre-existing relationship with, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's his locker room and Giroux and Couturier are, are on the outs um, by any stretch. Keep in mind that two seasons ago, when Hayes was at his best with the Flyers, um, that locker room existed with Giroux and Couturier. And mm-hmm. it was a fun group. Um, there was a lot of good stuff going on there. Um, there, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of malcontent, a lot of malcontents in the room. There was a lot of buy-in. Um, last year just happened to be one of those years where it, it didn't click in that locker room and, and changes needed to be made. Um, and I think that the people that needed to be sent out were sent out. And I think that the kind of people that needed to be brought in were brought in. And the fact that you got guys like Giroux and Couturier still in there and Giroux is still a captain and Couturier is still an ultimate captain tells you all you need to know about how the team perceives them as leaders and also as the team perceives what that locker room is going to look like. Um, so, no, I don't. I don't think that that's, uh, you know, a shot across their bow by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, I think it's a benefit for Kevin Hayes because maybe, maybe he was one of the guys who was not feeling it so much last year, like he did in uh, 1920. And so maybe bringing in some people that he, you know, he's friendly with and he likes playing with and he likes being around, you know, brings that energy and, and life and excitement back that he had two seasons ago. And, and you get him back to playing at that level, which was a huge difference for the Flyers. When Hayes is on, that's a great thing. 
when he's not on, it's, it can get ugly. And it got ugly a lot of times last year. So, um, it, you know, I'm not, I don't think that that was the sole reason that, that you brought in um, uh, Keith Yandel and, and Cam Atkinson. Um, but if it, if a secondary benefit of adding those players to your roster is it gets Kevin Hayes back to being the way he was two seasons ago, well, then, of course, you, you, you take advantage of it and say, you know, thank you very much. Yeah, because it's not like you can move him out. He has a no movement clause. And uh, yeah. All right. Uh, another email that came in was from Nick. Hey, guys, love the show. Questions I have are by, below. By, by the way, by the way, before you what? read that. You don't know this song? No, and it's cutting in and out because that's what that's what happens on on Zoom when you have music. Oh boy. I, I can't believe you don't recognize this song. This makes for a really good pod. If they can watch you dancing right now. That would make for a great pod. No. Okay. No. I don't know the song. I can't. It's Oh Sheila by Ready for And if the Sheila World. likes that song, uh, Sheila, it's a great song. And if Sheila hates that song, Sheila, it's a terrible song. How's that? <laughs> okay. Let's go to Nick. Nick says, love the show. Questions I have are below. Uh, first one. What's up with Sanheim? Is there significant issues between salary and or uh, the term, or is this an issue of fitting both him and Hart in the remaining eight million? Is this more of uh, creating a deadline to cause a move? What are the odds we see Sanheim take a two-year deal and walks in free agency because he sees his value or role differently than the Flyers? And he wasn't the only one, by the way, who brought this up. Uh, Lee, our friend Lee C checked in on Twitter and asked if there are any irons in the fire uh, in the trade fire, but then asked about the status for contracts for Sandheim and Hart. So the only thing I can say to this is that this happens with almost every team, every season when they have young players who are RFAs and need to get that next contract and it drags through the summer and everybody's like, well, why is it taking so long? We should get done. You know, why you know, does the player think more of himself than it is, than they are? Are they, are they trying to work out a trade? No, this is, this is just kind of how the process works with um, putting a contract together. And, you know, they could end up, you know, you, you could have players who end up in arbitration um, where the arbiter will pick, you know, it, there's no middle ground. There's no negotiation. The arbiter picks either the the money that the player is asking for or the money that the team is offering, one or the other. Um, those those happen every once in a while. But, I mean, if you recall, I mean, wasn't wasn't Konechny real late in the game last year? I believe so, uh, yeah. To, right? I mean, he was the one that was late in the game last year, and, and he got signed. Um it, it just it just happens. It's not the Flyers know what their limit is with these two players. They know what they feel they can get a deal done for. Um, it's just part of the it's part of the negotiating game. 
Of course, the agents are going to push for more money for the, as much as possible for their play, for their players. Um, they have an interest in it, of course, because they get a percentage. So the more they can get, the better it is for them as well as it is for their client. Um, so there's always just going to be back and forth and it drags on. I mean, look around, there's a lot of teams that have players in, in this boat. I wouldn't put any stock into anything other than it's just August. These things take time at this time of year. Who's on vacation? Who's, you know, not available to meet until, you know, two weeks from now or whatever the case might be. I, I wouldn't sweat it. Travis Sanheim will sign with the Flyers. Carter Hart will sign with the Flyers. Um, and they're both going to get in for probably around $8 million, maybe a little less than that, probably a little less than that, actually. Um, I, I think that the Flyers are going to try and keep uh, a little bit of wiggle room for themselves um, it, with the cap. So uh, as of right now, according to Cap Friendly, they're $8 million under. I would bet that they that they probably come in with these two uh, and leave themselves, you know, about five hundred thousand dollars worth of wiggle room. So, yeah, to your point, Connect Me signed. I believe it was like September sixteenth. It was definitely mid September last year. And if you remember, he um, he had missed camp at the start of uh, the start of training camp. Was well, that that was, it was it was that was, two, was it? sorry that was two years ago. Two years it was twenty nineteen. Yeah. Twenty nineteen. He he missed the start of training camp as they were banging out the deals or the details of that contract. The only, I guess, concern that you really have about Sanheim and Hart are just that they're, that they're there at the start of training camp. You don't want to start from behind in Hart's case. Like maybe it's not as big of a deal, um, but with Sanheim, especially with needing to, you know, log some kind of, of practice time and minutes with his new partner, Rasmus, just and you would, you would certainly hope that he's going to be at camp to start um, him getting off to a, a late start would be bad. What, what, what if I told you that... Stop. I hate when you do this. <laughs> Look. Go I ahead. Think what, if I, I, what if I told you? Go ahead, 30 for 30 voice. Tell us. What if I told you that um, they may not be partners this year? Well, that would then imply that one of them is going to be on the third pair or that one of them is going to be on the top pair. And unless the idea is... I found put... it. I found it really interesting... And no one talked about this. I didn't talk about it with you. We didn't bring it up. But I found it really interesting when Chuck Fletcher, when they signed Ryan Ellis, and he talked about, you know, his role with, with the Flyers. And he said how he, he's going to be partnered with Provorov. And then he said, almost as a throwaway, or Travis Sanheim. It makes me think that they're going to take a peek at that. And look, yeah, they, I mean, sure, they might take a peek at but it. No, but I mean, here's, you, here's you could thing, be at Termini Brothers at Reading Terminal Market. You might take a peek at the cannoli, but you might still choose the carrot cake. I don't know yeah. why you would, but maybe you would. I, 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 I'm still pretty solid that you're going Provorov and, and Ellis to start the season. But you know as well as I do that pairs and lines don't stay together all year long, especially with Elaine Vigneault, who, who flips things around a lot. Uh, and his coaching staff, they move guys around a lot. Uh, don't be surprised if you see Sanheim and, and Ellis getting some time together. And not just here and there, the odd shift. I think that they may play some games together. Yeah, I mean, at some point over the course of a season, because of injuries, because of time off. Mm, like, yeah. No, no, no. No, no. 
with everybody healthy. I, I think there's practically no chance that unless the team hits the skids that you're breaking up Ellis and Provorov. The only way that it happens is if you feel like Ellis has done such a great job of reestablishing Provorov as like a 1A and he's back to being what you thought a top pair defenseman was going to, to be. Then you bump Ellis down. Like who goes up? Sanheim goes up to the top pair, I guess. You're not going to put Ristolainen in as a top pair defenseman. Well, think about what they traded for Ristolainen. Yeah. He's a right-hand defenseman. But think about what they traded for him. Yeah. He's right-handed. I mean, that that to me doesn't mean anything. Oh, I, no, but what I'm saying is, is it's it's a lot to give up. And we've already been through this, right? I I just I'm just telling you that there's this is not a lock, stock, and barrel thing. That it's Provorov, Ellis, Sanheim, Ristolainen. I'm just telling you, it's not lock, stock, and barrel. I think it probably will be, but I'm telling you from what I hear, I they're gonna they're gonna take a look at it, and and okay. and, and there might be there might be something there early in the season that they play with. The only reason that you do it is if Ristolainen is taking himself out of plays or is making the boneheaded mistakes that Phil Myers made. And then in that case, yeah, then it does make sense. Then at some point, I think you bump Sanheim up to the top pair and you bring Ellis down to play with Ristolainen. Like maybe no, that works. No, they won't do two right-handed defensemen together. Well, listen, the the inverse of that, I don't think is a good idea either because I don't see Ristolainen and Provorov being a solid pair together. And I don't see, I mean, Ellis and Sanheim could be okay. But I, I w- again, I would worry that if you put Ristolainen next to, to Provorov, you're potentially tanking Provorov again. Like you're potentially putting somebody next to him that's going to cause all kinds of mayhem and all kinds of things that you can't control. And then all of a sudden Provorov starts, you know, doing what he did last year and for stretches of two years prior where he's putting too much pressure on himself. Like I, I don't like that at all. Well, I'm, that's fine that you don't like it. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not going to try it. Uh, you know, the, oh, Russ Joy doesn't like him. Guys, we got to pass up on this idea. Um, but I mean, in fairness, you're <laughs> sitting there going, well, I think they're probably going to, you know, go with this. But I think I'm, they, just, I'm just putting it out there that, you know, here, they, hypothetically, well, they, they they might not. Well, Jesus, Anthony, I guess, you know, maybe they're going to move, you know, Claude Giroux to center at some point during the year. They're going to certainly take a look, you know, at putting Cam Atkinson out on the wing and they're going to put Claude Giroux in at center. All I right. Mean, I'm not saying they're going to to start the season, but at some point they might. Like, come on. All right. When it happens. Just remember when you heard it. It doesn't mean anything, Ant. There's only six guys that can play on defense unless you're going to roll seven defensemen. There's only six. There's six that you very clearly have defined as the guys that you think are going to be the guys. Like, of course, there are going to be moments where you're going to have different rotations. Like, of course. Okay. That's not like some kind of... Move on to the, move on to the next question then. Move on okay. to the next question. You're like salty I, today. It's and not the Phillies that I, aren't even playing. I thought you were like watching the Phillies. I did watch the Phillies. Like, the Phillies I meant won. like it right was now. A great game. I, no, I I'm, watching the, like, I'm watching the Braves and the Cardinals right now. What a waste. All right. Let's uh, let's no, go but, to the uh, next but, thing. That, yeah, you, would, you would think at this point after after doing this show with me now as we enter our fourth season that, yeah. you know, you would know how to respond to things when I say I'm like this and you still haven't figured it out. And it's a shame, but that's OK. Moving along. It's OK. It's not. Listen, when, when you have some earth shattering news or you're uh, you're hinting at a, a possible move, then by all means. But when it's something goofy like that with the lineup, it, it doesn't mean anything. All right. Um, Post Hart and Sanheim, is this our 2021-22 Flyers or is there more to come? This probably is it. Um, 
I, I won't say a hundred percent that it is. Uh, anything can happen. Uh, I, you know, it depends. A lot depends on you know what they sign for. But I mean, I think that, like I said, if they're gonna if they're gonna come in at where we think they're gonna come in at, and Chuck leaves himself, you know, that five hundred thousand wiggle room under the cap, there's not much else you can do. So I think what you're looking at is you're looking at this being your roster. And the question then becomes, do any of your younger players, any of your prospects um, crack the lineup? And I think that that's, that's really the only question that we're not, and we, we don't know the answer now. We won't know until September, but I think that that's really kind of the only question mark that would really be left at this point. Yeah. So we have a few questions based around that. I want to get to, Another thing as we kind of transition into that, because uh, Nick brought up something that you've said a bunch of times on this show and a few other appearances that you've done on other podcasts. But with five players traded in the offseason, six, including Raffle at the trade deadline, one lost in free agency and one due to expansion, which is eight total. Do we feel like this is an upgrade and projected six to eight players would be different at the start of the season? Are you happy with this team? Yeah, I, I am. I, I'm I'm mostly happy. I mean, I think we. Last week, you know, I, I kind of gave grades and I said that prior to the deadline day, I gave Chuck an A, almost an A plus. And then Martin Jones didn't excite me all that much. And Nate Thompson was a was a is a guy. And I understand that I get it. But, you know, I still kind of thought there might be a better option out there. So I, I kind of gave him a B on that on on, on um, free agency day. But if you put the grades together, I mean, it's a, it's a solid off season for Chuck Fletcher, a really good one. It improves the team and it, it puts the onus now on the coaching staff to get this team playing the way it needs to play and get off to a good start in October. Um, I know there was one question in there, Russ, that kind of asked about Tarasenko. Um, yeah, that was Chris Naffy yeah. asking if the possibility for a Tarasenko deal is dead or if there's a, poly- a possibility of being revisited even as late as the trade deadline. Yeah. And so what I would, what I would say to that is, is that, you know, we know we talk about this all the time and, you know, people will will like to tell us that we're, you know, Oh, they're always wrong. Well, we're not always wrong. We're usually way out of it in the sense that conversations go on for a long time about players. And when we hear that there's a conversation going on about a trade for a player or moving a player, um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen in the, in the moment, but it's probably going to happen at some point or, or come close to happening if it doesn't happen. And I, I think that since the Flyers did venture down that path with Tarasenko, that it's something that they could consider again as the season progresses. Now, if St. Louis is hell-bent on moving him before, um, before the season starts – I would have a harder time seeing him coming to Philadelphia at that point. I think it, I think that's probably not doable or not something that, that Chuck would want to do, but later in the season, you know, holidays on up through the trade deadline, could he potentially revisit that as an, as an upgrade to the offense? Uh, certainly I, I could see that. I could certainly see that happening and, and be that, you know, one of those big moves that you make in season when you think you have a team that can go for it. So I, I would never say that they're, that they're out on the player until he gets traded somewhere else. Um, but I think that it's, 
not the, the time of year to try and make that happen, a move of that size happen. It's very, very rare to occur in August or September that you have a, a blockbuster hockey trade. Maybe because we have a flat cap and things are different now because of the pandemic, maybe something comes up and surprises us. And if that's the case, and I would be just as surprised as everyone else. Um, but I, I still think that the, these general managers are creatures of habit and they're going to want to, they're going to want to do things the way that they've always done them. And so, you know, Chuck, Chuck plays the long game. We know that we saw that with Ristolainen. He talked about trying to trade for him for three years. We saw that with uh, moving Gosses Bear. He tried to trade him for three years, right? And until <laughs> he finally had to pay a price to get rid of him, get him off the off the contract, uh, off the cap. We knew that they talked about Ellis uh, last March, and so he doesn't make the deal for him until July. So you know, we know Chuck plays the long game. We also know we also know he can do it. You know, something quick. As he said with Cam Atkinson, he said that came together in two days, pretty much. Like it, it was not something that was immediately on the radar. Uh, and uh, my guess is the Flyers had um, something else that they wanted to do. Well, not my guess. Like you know, we, we reported it. They were hoping that Seattle would facilitate the move for Tarasenko with moving Voracek's contract. It didn't happen. And so then when they started to look around for the, the next best alternative, uh, that cropped up and they talked about it and said, you know what, this is, this is something that makes sense. And this is something that would, would fall into that next, you know, step down or next step on the flow chart, um, to make this deal. And so that, you know, that one came together quickly. So those things can happen, but I, you know, I wouldn't count Tarasenko out 100%. I think that the flyers will stay in touch with St. Louis. Um, but it will really depend on when the blues want to make the trade. And I think if they try and do it before the season starts, it's more of a long shot that it comes that he comes to Philadelphia. Yeah. And I mean, I, I guess, you know, coming back to something you said earlier, like the idea of, of things that we put out that we talk about Ristolainen and Ellis were two guys that we talked about prior to the trade deadline. I think it was even weeks before the trade deadline as two names to keep an eye on. Um, and it ended up happening. So I guess I would just kind of point people back to past track record on some of this stuff. And it's certainly not bad. Um, Let's go to one of the other things, because you mentioned about how, um, you know, you look at lineups and, and about there maybe being more pressure on the coaching staff. Chris Naffey asked on Twitter, based on the moves this offseason, do you see Travis Konechny as a first line right winger and all of the returning players? Is he the one that needs to step up the most? Um, I do see him on that top line to start the year. I think I think that you're going to get more out of. <laughs> well, you're going to try and get as much as you can out of Konechny right off the bat, right? You're going to try and jumpstart him right away. And so playing him with Couturier and Giroux, a pairing that he's had success with before, um, now that you have a better defense, uh, you know, in front of the goaltenders, maybe Konechny that now can kind of, you know, get moving, get, get motivated and get back to being, um, you know, the 30 goal scorer that we all thought he was going to be. Uh, so I think it's going to start that way, but I'm not certain that that's something that the flyers are going to be committed to for any length of time. If it, if it doesn't click quickly, I can see Atkinson replacing him on that line uh, just because Atkinson's a, a 41 
goal scorer to what three seasons ago. And Drew has never had a winger to pass the puck to who scores 40 goals in a season. Um, so I could see AV trying to get that pairing together, that to work. But I, I think Atkinson's going to probably play with Hayes to start the season. And I think that Konechny is going to play with Giroux and, and Couturier to start the season. And, and then we'll see. And then we'll, we'll see how it progresses. Again, I, you know, I know everybody gets kind of – everybody loves the lineups, right? They all love the lines. Um, that's why reporters, set, you know, put them out at the morning skate. Here's what the lines were at the skate, like the lines, the lines, the lines. So much changes in a game, so that it's, it's almost kind of irrelevant. But since it is a talking point and it is something that everybody likes to discuss – I think that you're probably going to see Konechny start the year on that top line. And yes, he's the guy, if you're looking for anybody up front, at least anybody who needs a bounce back year, it Travis Konechny certainly is one. I mean, I mean, if I had to pick somebody who needs to be the biggest bounce back candidate for the season, it has to be Carter Hart. But if you're looking for somebody um, up front, then yeah, Konechny would be, would be the guy. I agree. That actually then leads us to a question from Bill Leonard over on Twitter who asks, how about taking a stab at AV's projected line combinations? I mean, it's, you know, you, you go through that idea of uh, too early to start predicting, but all right, you just laid out the top line. You think is going to be Giroux, Couturier, and Konechny. Like as it stands right now, if Camp were to open right now, that's your top line. Your second line is going to have Kevin, Kevin and James Van Riemsdyk. I don't know about that. I think JVR might be on the third line with Lawton. Okay. Um, it's going to be interesting to, to see where everybody fits. I, I think that, you know, we got, you got to figure out where, where Farabee belongs. Mm-hmm. Um, that, All right, so that's Far- All right. So say Farabee's on the second line. I, I don't, I'm not in love with that as a defensive line, to be honest with you, <laughs> okay. with, with Farabee Hayes and, and Atkinson, but man, it could be, it could be a really good scoring line. Right. Um, so I, I could see that. I could also see Oscar Lindblom getting a start there, you know, if he's back to being full health uh, as he was, you know, prior to his cancer diagnosis a couple of years ago um, when he was the leading goal scorer for the team um, and he was playing on the second line. I, I could see that as well. I could see them giving him that chance. But let's let's say you go Farabee there um, and you probably go JVR uh, with Lawton. Um, JVR Lawton. on the other side. Who? You have Limblom on the the other wing. Uh, Limblom's a left line. Wing. Yeah, Limblom's a left winger. I, I don't see him on so the right side. You're gonna put Limblom on the fourth line. Well, this is why this is why I thought Limblom might go. Let's let's put Limblom on the second line to start. Okay. Just to start, because Farabee's a guy who could play on either side, and maybe you put Farabee with JVR and Lawton on the third line, and then your fourth line has um, Nate Thompson centering Nick Abe Kubel. And is Wade Allison? Is he Wade? Wade Allison, probably. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, like Allison's more of a right winger. Like, that's the thing. Like, I mean, Allison could be better on the third line as a third line right winger. Um, I could see Allison a little bit higher up the lineup and and Konechny coming down. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of maneuvering. The the other thing is, you know, we don't talk about this enough when we talk about line combinations, but. Coaches believe in pairs mm-hmm. as far as forwards are concerned. So they're not looking for, they're not always, yes, they're looking for chemistry for between 
three guys on a line. But more than that, they're looking for two guys that work together really well. And let's see who we can get going on their wing with them. So they try and keep two guys together a lot. So that's why, you know, it's Couturier and Giroux, right? That's that's your parent. Who go, who's going to be on the line with them? Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think that, you know, you're going to look for that. I think you might see, again, like I said, you, you might see it be Hayes and Atkinson as a pair. Or you might see um, Lawton and Van Riemsdyk as a pair. Um, and, and Thompson and Aubrey Kubel as a pair. And I know everybody's like, well, where's Morgan Frost going to fit into this? I'm not sure Morgan Frost starts the season with the team. I'm, I'm really, I'm really not. I, I, look, they wanted him here this summer. They wanted him training here this summer and working out here this summer. He chose to go home to Canada. And I think that that's going to put him a little bit behind the eight ball coming into camp. That's not to say he can't get a quick call up. He can't come in and impress and earn a job and win it. He certainly can. But if, if Morgan Frost is just, what we saw last year and not vastly improved. I, I think Morgan Frost is going to start in the minors. Um, so, you know, you don't go out and get all these veteran players to then say, well, we're going to, we're going to, you know, not play Nate Thompson. We're going to play Morgan Frost there, but Morgan Frost is not a fourth line center. Well, see that that's the thing. He's like not. when, when, when I look at what the, the bottom six was that you came up with to me, if you're going to talk about what you would hope would be the, the highest upside, it would probably be Morgan Frost playing that three C, but he had, he would have to do a lot in order to lock that who, position. Who are, down. You t- who are you t- If that's the case, and I know a lot of people are talking about this, but I'm going to ask you this question. If sure. Morgan Frost is going to be your three C, which is I, so many fans are, are plugging him into that spot. Mm-hmm. Who is coming out of your lineup? Nate somebody has to you, uh, Nate Thompson. Listen, Nate Thompson becomes your 13th forward. Scott Lawton is your four C. It's not perfect. It's not ideal. The, Scott, the whole idea, Scott, if listen, that's the case, if that's the case, Lawton's going to play on the third line wing. They're not going to let, which is Morgan, totally, they're not totally going to let possible. Morgan, and they're that, not going to let and, Frost, they're not going to let Frost center a checking line uh, without good defensive players on his wings. So if, if you don't have, if Frost is that center, Lawton's on that line, who's your fourth, who's your fourth line center? Well, you had what James Van Riemsdyk and Joel Farabee on on the wings on that third line, right? So with, Frost, but with Lawton, yeah, so, with yeah, Lawton. It, yes. yeah. So sure, it's not ideal if that's the way that you have to go. If Lawton ends up going on to a wing on that third line, then you're talking about Farabee or Van Riemsdyk sliding down. That doesn't make sense. So unless there's a whole lot of shuffling that's going to have to happen. the The only way that I think you can make it work is if your best case scenario, right, is that Frost shows a lot of what you had hoped he would show. That That's your best case scenario. This is the same scenario that I think we had outlined for two years about Nolan Patrick with the 2C. You know, it was like, if all goes well, if things pan out the way that you would really hope that they would organizationally, you would want Nolan Patrick to play himself into the 2C role and Kevin Hayes becomes the most overpaid third center, you know, third line center in the league. This is different. You're not going to put Morgan Frost as a top six forward. They don't want to play him on the wing. They've only ever wanted to see him play center. Third line isn't a bad place for him. But yes, it does cause a conundrum because in the event that that's the way that you opt to go, if he plays himself into a a role where you cannot send him down, you feel that he brings such a dynamic skill set 
And, and the value and the upside that he brings as a playmaker on that third line is something you can't pass up on. Then I think James Van Reems likes the guy who goes down to the fourth line because Joel Farabee, as you think Farabee, like the, your face right now, Joel Farabee going down to the fourth line is not catastrophic, but like maybe as a fit for the season or for some games makes sense. But when you're thinking about how you develop a young player who, you know, bucked the trend of being a young player who actually arguably took a step forward last year, you're going to bury him on the fourth line. I don't see that. That doesn't make sense. My face right now is this whole discussion to me is silly. Morgan Frost hasn't played a game since uh, of substance since January. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's not training with the team. He's skating at home on his own. You're talking about a kid who was a borderline NHL guy to begin with. All of a sudden, he's going to come in here and he's going to win an NHL job right off the shoot. I don't see it. I think he's going to, even if he has a really good camp, I mean, he has to blow them away at camp. And I don't think that he's the kind of player who's going to blow you away. He's going to start the year. In my mind, he's going to start the year with the Phantoms. And and I think that that's a foregone conclusion. I think when you look at the moves that Chuck made, this wasn't a, that these moves weren't made to have a team that's going to have players developing at the NHL level. When you look at all the changes that they made with the Phantoms, new head coach, new assistant coaches, new player development guys, new structure in the organization with how they develop players. This is not about developing players in the NHL. These players who they like, and they, you know, to Chuck's credit, he did not have to move any of them in trades in the offseason. So he was able to keep Frost and Zamula and York and um, Forster um, and, you know, and all their, their, and Zade Wisdom and their new draft picks. Like he didn't have to move any of these pieces. Um, so I look at that and I say, they're going to develop these players. That's going to be their goal. That's why they brought veterans in. So I don't see a way Morgan Frost starts the year with the Flyers. I just don't see it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I completely am, am missing the boat here. But I think that we sometimes in this city get a little too caught up in the prospects and think that they're going to come in and be star players and, and be able to fill the role right away. And I, I'm not certain that Morgan Frost is that kind of player. I don't think he's – if he had played all of last year and he was kind of up and down between the Phantoms and the Flyers, I think he would have a much better chance of cracking the lineup. But the sure. fact that he didn't – that he basically lost a full, a full season, a full year. And think about it, even before that, he lost the, almost six months because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a guy who's played, what, four games, five games in, in the span of a, a little over a year, and and he's – not an NHL guaranteed player to begin with. There's no way he makes the flyers. He has to start with the fans. All right. So everybody make sure you bookmark this episode. Make sure you bookmark that little clip. I might even clip that part myself just for uh, the start of the Please start do. Of or mid season. Um, all right. We'll move on because Anthony does not believe that a young player who's surrounded by talented players can be put in a beneficial situation. Interesting. All right. Let's move to, because you mentioned a few other prospects um andrew over oh by the way uh flyers eric with two c's was uh one of the people who asked about uh who was going to end up being the three c so big thank you to eric for asking that question as well let's go to andrew uh andrew meyer over on twitter who asks do you have any idea what kind of summer forster and wisdom have had 
given the rare opportunity last season to play AHL young, I'm curious as to um, how the development path has changed based on experience. Would you liken it to European kids playing SHL at 18 or 19? And as a follow-up, is there a realistic chance that their timelines have moved up as a result? If they're given another chance to play AHL hockey, could we see either with the big club in any capacity this upcoming season? So I think that I think that they're both going to be given that opportunity. I think that that's going to come to fruition. I, I know that there's a lot of talk and, and how it's going to work out um, for those players who were able to play in the AHL last year and now maybe being exempt from having to go back to junior because it really just it really does stunt their development after playing a full season of American Hockey League to then say, okay, you have to go back to junior for a year before you can come back. There's no development there. That's really, that's really not benefiting the player, um, uh, the young player. So I think that those guys are going to be given the opportunity to continue to develop in the AHL. And yes, I, I think that that's a good comparison to compare it to playing, you know, in the Swedish elite league or, or the Finnish league, or even the KHL where you're playing professional hockey against men uh, at a younger age, right? So I think it, I definitely think there was a huge upside for both Forrester and Wisdom and other players of their ilk from other organizations to play in the AHL this past season. Um, does that help the, with their timeline? I Sure. I think it, of course it does. I mean, they got to start playing, you know, a different brand of hockey instead of playing against 160 pound 16 year olds. They're playing against 225-pound, 25-, 26-year-olds uh, who've developed into their adult bodies, right? I mean, so, yes, that benefit is, is huge um, and certainly speeds up their timeline. That being said, do I think that that gets them to the NHL this year? That hey, Look, the Flyers are going to have injuries. Guys are going to need to be called up, right? I, I'm not sure that other than maybe a cup of coffee – um, maybe come up for a game or two. Maybe they want to, you know, jumpstart the lineup a little bit. So you get wisdom in there to come up and, and, you know, be a little bit physical, who knows? Um, I, I don't think so. I think that they're still on pace probably for next season to finally break through, uh, the NHL roster. But I guess technically if they're, if they're allowed to play AHL hockey again, um, and they're no longer committed to going back to junior, and you, the NHL teams don't have to worry about that. I could certainly see if they need somebody to fill in for a game or two that maybe they get the call up. But I don't think it's anything where it's like, get them up here and they're going to stick up here. We got we to remember that. Again, this is, it's a different world, right? I mean, this is, these, are, these are not generational talent players. These are guys who are going to come in here and for the most part, they're, they're going to struggle if, if, they're, if they're asked to play more than a small sample size of games. And that's just the, that's just the nature of the beast at that age, at, at this, in this sport, at this level, unless you're a special player. Um, but that's okay. I think it's, I think that the flyers are in a good spot with their, with their depth in the organization and they have players coming over the course of the next couple of years. And if you add, if you're adding one to two players, per year to your roster. And even if that means guys like for the flyers this year, look, Allison came up and had his first taste last year. New York played a couple games at the end of the year. If those are your two guys this year who play a full season, that's good. That's good progress. And then yeah. next year it might be 
you know, Zamula and Frost. And the year after that, it might be Forster and Wisdom. Like if that's if that's the pace that you're on, where you can add one or two players from your organization per year to your lineup to be regular contributors, then you're doing it right. And so I think that the Flyers are in a good spot right now with with their prospects. Given the amount of time that we've been going at this uh, and the fact that it's getting later, I want to go a little bit rapid fire. You ready for some rapid fire? Because we have a few more questions, but I don't think they need super lengthy responses. Go ahead. I'm I'm terrible with rapid fire. Go ahead. (laughs) You don't say. I want to go back to um, not not like you're uh, not like you're a master of it. You you like to hear yourself talk. (laughs) Let's whoa 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 whoa. That's offensive. All right, let's go back to um to Nick's email because I believe Nick only had one question left and and I don't know maybe we should save this one. This one might end up being something that we could come back to. Now that'll be that'll be like a, a normal length question. Let me go to these. Um <clears throat> all right. Brent Boothman says with um Oh no, we already did this one. We already did this one. I don't think I said his name though. I think I just read the question before. All right. Uh Matthew 8014 1915 on Twitter says, uh, don't you guys feel they lacked physicality last year with their forwards and that it's an important part of a playoff team seems to be a glaring issue. Still go. Well, that's one of the reasons you bring in Nate Thompson. Um, and I think that you're going to see, uh, you know, a guy like Atkinson, he's, even though he's small, he's not a big physical player. He plays much bigger than his size. So I think adding him, Adding Thompson, who play play that next level energy game, um, I think is going to make it better. And then, of course, on the back end, you got Ristolainen, who's going to be a who's going to be a banger. And once you get a few guys banging, then I think other guys will start to do the same as well. And so, uh, yeah, I still think that there's room for more, but I think that there's enough at least to start the season. That's a big thing too, right? Is knowing that you have somebody who can defend you, like Ristolainen is going to, then allows a lot of your forwards, even some of your smaller or younger players to feel like they can play physically without being headhunted because the. Uh, and it's not like it really matters in the grand scheme of things, but like Sam Moran is going to be floating in as your seventh defenseman. There are going to be matchups where he's going to be in the lineup. Imagine, imagine being an opposing player who may or may not typically try to headhunt against the flyers and realizing that not only do you have Ristolainen to deal with now, there's also Moran I'm not saying that it's going to make all the difference in the world, but it is good to know that there are big people that can beat up littler people on the opposition. Yeah. Moran's only, by the way, he's only going to be your seventh defenseman as long as it takes Cam York to get ready to get back to the NHL level. Bingo. But does that, that is going to bring us back to the, the age old argument of in the case of Cam York, the, the thought or the hope is that he's eventually going to usurp like Keith Yandel. Once the Iron Man streak is done, you would certainly hope you don't want to have th- this really does come back to that that issue of is it better to have York with the team rotating in as a six or seven if it's like Braun comes out or if you're trying to like rest somebody along the way, or is it better for him to get consistent minutes in the A until Yandel's streak is up, which was probably what you're going to do, but that that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I think I think that that's exactly what's going to happen, Russ. Uh conservative hedgehog over on Twitter. Uh, says, how much better is the Ellis trade in light of the amount of cash Jones, uh, Hamilton, and Warinsky pulled in? It's a great trade. It was, it was. Uh, I argue that it might have been the best trade of the offseason by any team. And I'm not just saying that because we're doing a podcast about the Flyers. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that 
what did you really give up in that trade? You gave up a, a project defenseman who Phil Myers, I think he's going to be an NHL caliber defenseman, but it's going to mm-hmm. take some time. And the, he didn't have the time to do it here. You gave up Nolan Patrick, who we know is a malcontent. We know didn't want to be here. Um, so really, I mean, you know, whether he goes on to great success in Vegas or not remains to be seen, but he was never going to be anything in Philadelphia. Um, so you give that up and and then um, you bring back a guy who's going to solidify your back end for the next six years. Like yeah. it was, it was a great trade. It was a great trade. I, I, is there another trade that went out that was done in the NHL that, matches up to that i i don't see it we haven't talked about this but i i want to put this to you really quick is the acquisition of ellis does that do something for the lineup like chemo team and his acquisition did yeah it's 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 similar in a way i mean there was more than just team and when you go back sure. i mean that was team and and hartnell yeah. um that was that tra- that trade was for both of those contracts and both signed mm-hmm. And when when you brought both of them here, that's what convinced Danny Briere to sign here as a as a restrict uh, as an unrestricted free agent. So there was a major overhaul. Of course, they also traded for Marty Biron, Danny Briere's best friend, at the trade deadline yep. prior. Um, so that helped as well. Um, and you had players like Richards and Carter who were getting ready to come into their own as NHL caliber players. So I mean, there was there was a lot kind of that that came together at the same time. Um, I think I this is mean on the back end though. Like Timonen was a Timonen was like was an all around defenseman who solidified things. Like yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You I could mean, also, I, by the way, you you could also make the case that the the acquisition of Ellis, the acquisition of Atkinson, may or may not have in some way, shape, or form intrigued Yandel enough to come here. And it's not like we expect Keith Yandel to be like this game changing third pair defenseman who's going to like quarterback the power play and put up forty points this year. But like if you start to change the dynamic around the team, and we've talked for, for a couple of years now about how the Hextall regime uh, had an adverse effect to some extent on the way that players and agents viewed the, the flyers organization as a, as a free agency destination, like maybe by making some of these moves and by getting a guy like Yandel to say, yes, I'm going to come in. I'm going to take a contract less than a million dollars to play here. Like, sure. He has friends here, but like, I don't know, maybe there is some value in that. And maybe it's not that kind of like paradigm shift that it was when you brought in a, a team and an Anna Hartnell and that convinced in some way for Briere to come. Like you don't have that piece that came in. You don't have that big free agent acquisition like Briere was, but it doesn't necessarily prevent you from being able to do something like that in the, in the next, like say the next off season or another player who may or may not be a malcontent on another team from saying you know, I'm going to amend my no trade clause or I'm going to add the Flyers to the list where they may or may not have been part of it before. You know what I mean? Like maybe there, there's a little bit of a culture shift there that's intriguing to some players that might not have considered Philadelphia prior, if that makes sense. Yeah, maybe. Could be. We'll see. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. Okay. Um, here's some potpourri questions. Potpourri? Potpourri. Uh, make a Big Mac over on Instagram asked, what forward are they still looking to move? And is Kiprios right that Goudreau is still on the table? I don't think Johnny Goudreau to the Flyers is going to happen. Um, 
I, I think that every I think that Chuck Fletcher is probably tired of hearing that he's going to trade for Johnny Gaudreau. I think Brad Treveling, the, the GM of the Calgary Flames, is tired of hearing that he's going to trade Johnny Gaudreau to the Flyers. Um, you know, Johnny Gaudreau coming to the Flyers, and I know Kipper's been on this for a while. He came on our show back in was that late March, I guess it was, and Maybe. suggest suggested that that this could happen. Um, mm-hmm. Johnny Gaudreau to the Flyers to me is kind of like what the Phillies just went through with they're going to sign Cole Hamels and then Cole Hamels signed with the Dodgers, right? Like you want this great homecoming. You want, everybody wants it. Everybody thinks it'd be a great story. And Oh, how awesome would it be if the teams now all of a sudden are good again, and they have a local star uh, on the team. And I kind of think that that's what it's become, right? I kind of think that that's what this whole Johnny Gaudreau thing has become. I, I don't see it happening. But again, look, I, I've been wrong in the past. I mean, it could, could certainly, you know, be the case. Maybe Chuck's got one more move on, you know, that we're not hearing about. He's being real secretive about. It could be that, sure, but I don't, I don't think so. But you never know. I mean, hey, maybe it's like uh, that coward Mike Trout who uh, didn't want to come home and decided to stay out in, in uh, baseball. I don't know. I call it baseball purgatory. I don't even know what the angels are. They're a waste. They're a waste of space. They're a waste of a franchise. It's like where all the good star power in major league baseball goes to die. But here we are. It's fine. Can you imagine if Mike Trout and Shoatani were actually playing on a, I don't know, like a, a good team that um, actually cared about winning and maybe didn't play on the West coast. Like maybe weren't, you know, the second fiddle by a long shot to the Dodgers. Like just imagine. Baseball might actually have something. Now they're too worried trying to tell Fernando Tatis not to uh, flip his bat. So baseball. All right. uh, Let's go to the next thing. We've got Chris Houck over on Twitter who says, uh, I know you'll touch on this during the season, but do you think the box office and Wells Fargo Center are going to listen to the season ticket holders more to make games more enjoyable for the fans? There is no way in hell that this organization (laughs) will listen to their season ticket holders. None. I and I, I know that I know, and I'm going to get a call about this tomorrow, right? I mean, because I just said that we've been through this. The season ticket holders are fed up. They cannot sell their tickets, All right? And and that's the thing, right? So, season ticket holding 101. For those of you who are not season ticket holders, season ticket holders buy season tickets not because they want to go to every game. Sure, there are people who do that, but. For the most part, they buy it as an investment, right? It's an mm-hmm. it's an investment, and so they look at it as okay. I'm buying tickets for 41 games. There, I, there are some perks that I'll get with that. I'll go to maybe 15, 20 of them. I'll sell the rest and make maybe make a little bit of a profit off of it on the secondary market. The problem is, is that the flyers when they don't sell out then buy back tickets off the secondary market and then resell them at a discount so that the season ticket holders cannot sell their season tickets and make mon- make the money off of it. And so they get either they get stuck with the tickets or have to sell them at less than what they paid for. And they end up, it's a bad investment, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what they've been crowing about. And it's not just the current group. They've been crowing about this for years, for years. And so there, there needs to be an adjustment to that because 
the season ticket holders are your bread and butter. And you have to treat them a little bit differently than you do everyone else. I'm not saying they need, always need special treatment. I'm not saying you always have to give in to them. But you have to give, you have to listen to the season ticket holders. Because without them, you're not in a good spot, right? I mean, they are, they are the money that's coming in early. They are the ones who are forking over 11 grand or 12 grand for a pair of tickets, right? Mm-hmm. For a year, which is insane to me that anybody would pay that kind of money. Um, for- it's a bad investment. Like, I don't know what some of these people are doing. Like, listen, I, I don't want to be rude, but like, if your idea right now is like, I'm going to make money with Philadelphia Flyers season tickets, if that's been your thought for the last three years, please, please. Send me the money instead. <laughs> I have a better, I have should, a better chance of making you money in a bunch of different ways than you're ever going to get that way. Invest in Snow the goalie. Well, here's the thing, though, right? Like, the, I mean, one that that is probably true. There, there is good value there. Yes. Uh, two, you can go over to CrossingBroad.com and sign up for any of the sports books and follow the picks that you make. Follow the picks that I make and. Hell, the, the last few months, people would have made quite a bit of money. They could have played Phil Kaidel's golf picks, which, by the way, have been very good as well as of late. So that's not so bad. Um, it's, it is it is kind of hard, I think, for the average fan who like, and we've talked about this a lot about, y- you think about like, in my case, right? If, if I were going to take my family, family of five, three little kids, it's not a cheap investment to go down. And if you're somebody who's like, not, let's not even say paycheck to paycheck, but like somebody who doesn't just have the money to burn to go down and spend a few hundred bucks between the tickets, parking concessions, and then probably getting your kids some stuff at at the pro shop. Like that person's going to have a hard time feeling bad for the season ticket holder. Who's saying I'm spending thousands of dollars so that I can resell half of the tickets to recoup my funds and then some, but at the same time, you are right. Like there season ticket holders are a, found like a a fundamental part of a strong organization. And without it, you start to see a lot of the issues that propped up with this team, especially over the last few years with ticket brokers and things of, of that nature, where you're playing to a a very empty crowd. And if the season ticket holders don't go to the games and they're unable to sell those seats, you're talking about thousands of seats that are going to remain vacant regardless. And that is a massive problem. And unless the team is you know is exponentially exceeding expectations and those season ticket holders are are just going to go to all the games you're not going to have a packed house and that that is part of the thing that compounds the issue about like the fact that things don't feel the same down at wells fargo center as they used to when you used to think of home ice advantage for the flyers well it's also and this is another reason why i say that they're not going to listen to the season ticket holders because they went ahead the flyers moved ahead with not just the flyers but i mean the Comcast Spectacor moved ahead with their plans to finish uh, renovations on the Wells Fargo Center um, this offseason. And they're making even more changes to add more, you know, modern, what they believe are modern day um, uh, amenities that fans are going to like. And I argue, and I will always argue, that hockey fans are a different breed. They don't care as much about the amenities in the building. Some do, but for the most part, they don't care as much. They care about what's on the ice. They want to sit there and watch the game. They want to cheer for their team. 
They want to get excited about it. They want to wear, they want to go to the store and buy the jerseys and the t-shirts and the hats and wear them to every game. That's all they care about. They want to get some food while they're down there. That's all they care about. They don't care what you're renovating, what sports book you're putting into the building. They don't, they just don't, they don't care. But this organization is, is banking on the fact that they're going to attract a new breed of fan, a younger fan who is a more casual fan who doesn't really care as much about the product on the ice. They care, but they're a fan, but they, they, you know, they like the experience of being in the building more than they do sitting in their seat, watching the game. And they're banking on that. that This is going to work. And I'm, you know, more power to them. If they think that that, if, if they've done the market research to suggest that Uh, I don't, I don't see it. I don't believe it in Philadelphia. I don't buy it here. I think that the fan fans in Philadelphia for every sport, it's religion um, and what goes on on the ice, on the field, on the court matters a hell of a lot more than what's going on in the, in the building around you. Um, and so by that, by that notion, I don't necessarily think that putting those amenities ahead of the needs or, or wants of season ticket holders is the proper path. It's a path. I don't think it's the right one, but we'll, we'll see. Again, I could be wrong. I could be wrong in the long run, but I don't think I am. I would, I guess, argue that like part of the reason that I think that they're putting so much money into the arena into trying to make like the, the game day experience better is maybe, and, and I can't say this for sure, but could also be driven by the fact that they like having tenants and those tenants are the Philadelphia 76ers who do sell out quite a bit and only because they're good Russ. Yeah. yeah. The Sixers weren't good. They weren't selling out. Yeah. But I'm saying like right now you're talking about uh, a team that has been good and in theory should be good for the better part of the next decade or so. And obviously basketball has got plenty of (laughs) of highs and lows. It, It takes one bad Joel Embiid injury to, to fundamentally alter things for the Sixers. But like considering the amount of, of smoke that there was um, around the idea that the Sixers might look to try to convince the city or somebody else to incentivize them building a stadium, you know, an arena elsewhere. I kind of feel like part of what the, what Comcast has done by trying to improve certain things that are mutually beneficial between organizations, maybe has a little bit of something to do with it, but it's far from being like the only reason or from being one of the major reasons. Um, Steph number free over on Twitter asks, did anyone in the organization, by the way, is becoming one of our like super fans. Like she's, she comments. She's always on on a lot of stuff, which we appreciate. It's awesome. Says, did anyone in the organization address or reply to Ant's story about the pizza switch and deceitful stand labeling that occurred in the arena last season? For those of you who missed it, it was the Lorenzo and Sons stand uh, in Wells Fargo Center. They didn't come to an agreement. Um, Anthony detailed this over on CrossingBroad.com. But what what ultimately happened was Wells Fargo Center, I believe it's Aramark, right? Were selling pizzas that were using the same pans, were the same size, and some people thought it was deceitful. They 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 didn't have the Lorenzo and Sons sign up. I don't think there was any sign above the stand, right? But they it was, put they put they, a they, they put a, a a black like a black banner banner over, over it, it, right? Yeah. And so there were some people who were you know 
constantly going on the Lorenzo's Facebook page saying like your pizza sucks now what happened and it caused some some strife with Lorenzo and Sons and with Wells Fargo Center did anybody ever uh, reach out to you about well, that we, we we um we did put comments from Wells Fargo Center and Aramark in the story um so they did respond within the story we did give them the opportunity to speak uh, the statements were very basic um mm-hmm. they're very generic um, on background, when I was talking to some people down there, the, the notion was, and I don't, I could see this, but the notion was we have the, the equipment to make pizzas like that already in place. Why wouldn't we make the same style of pizza? And my, my response back when they were, when they told me that was, I agree. I a hundred percent. That's mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with Aramark and Wells Fargo center selling a large pizza, um, large slice pizza, but whatever their 23 inch pan or whatever it was. Um, it's not like there was a trademark that Lorenzo's had on that size pizza. So they certainly can do that if they wanted to. And it makes sense because they have the equipment already in the building to do it. What my question was is why they didn't make a point to identify for patrons, this is no longer, they don't have to say Lorenzo's, but please note that this is an Aramark pizza now and, and not the company that was here previously. That's where I think that they dropped the ball. And I think that that's where I felt they were misleading. Um, you know, there was some back and forth as to why they, why they would do that. Why, you know, if, if the pizza sells really well, why wouldn't they, want to keep selling it. I, I get it, but it, you're, you're selling it based. It was selling really well because of the brand that it was and not the size that it was. Let's put it that way. Right. I mean, so, so that's, so that's where I think that there was a disconnect. Um, but um, you know, that was, you know, that kind of died down a little bit, although I did get a message from Lorenzo's uh, a couple weeks later that they still had, outside of the um, outside of the building on those those things that look like giant lipstick advertisement yeah. boards mm-hmm. I don't even know what the hell to call them um, that there was still advertisements for Lorenzo's on those and that was several weeks after the story ran yeah. so I, I don't necessarily know I mean somebody dropping the ball well- I, I don't know. I mean, on, on one hand, you could actually say that that's beneficial for, for Lorenzo and Sons, that for those who might not know about Lorenzo and Sons, that they still had some pretty solid advertising outside of the arena. I don't know. I mean, I, you and I didn't agree on this, but it's kind of like if I go if I go for a burger and I say, man, there aren't as many sesame seeds on this bun as there were before. And I feel like the feel like the patty doesn't taste flame broiled like it used to. Man, Burger King, your Whopper sucks. And Burger King says that wasn't ours. That wasn't a Whopper. That was just a big burger on a sesame seed bun. Did you see any signs that said Burger King? And if I think back and I say, no, there weren't any Burger King signs. And I think, well, were they wearing any Burger King uniforms? Well, no, they weren't. I don't know. Do I really blame the place that sold me the burger? I don't know. Like, as a consumer, do you have any responsibility in no, looking? You're, you're, you're I, right. I don't know. You're right. But the thing of it is, is that 
it's not like you just walked up randomly and you had no idea, you know, that this, you know, that, that, that this was what, that they used to sell Burger King there. Right. Like you didn't, you I guess. See, see, that's that's the. Thing. I, I feel, I feel like there's a there was there was a little bit too much of that. Um, remember who was it? Remember who was in the building last year when this all occurred? Only season ticket holders. Sure, were that in the building. that part's fair. Yes, that part is absolutely fair, and that that I think is where you have credence versus like what what my argument I guess theoretically would be, which is like for the out of towners or for the people who like grew up where I grew up, or for people who aren't necessarily like as in tune with like some of the local institutions in Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know. Like somebody just sees a big slice of pizza or their kid sees a big slice of pizza. They're going to get it. And they're not going to go onto Lorenzo's Facebook page and complain because they're not going to know about Lorenzo and sons, or maybe they kind of do, but they didn't know that Lorenzo and sons were there because they haven't gone to a game in two years. Like, I don't know, but that that's a whole other story for another day. Let's get back to, I think, I think this was our last question, which is kind of nice. I think we got through everybody's questions, which is good. I feel good about that. Let's go back to Nick's email. And Nick, thanks again for your email. Um, what is this team? Are they an improved version of the team that went to the second round? Are they a non-playoff team that improved enough to be um, what should be a playoff team? Are they somewhere in between? Can they actually contend for the cup? Where would you rank them? Top 10, top 20? I mean, it's it's really hard to uh, rank the team. I, I think that they're a playoff team. Um, I think they're one of the top four teams in the in the Metro. Beyond that, to say where they fit with the rest of the league, it's really hard to, to say. Are they better than the team that went to the second round game seven against the Islanders? They could be, but until it happens, until they get past that point, me saying they are doesn't doesn't mean that they are, right? I mean, so um I, you know, I, I think that they're a playoff team and that's, a, that's where you have to start. You have to get there first and then anything can happen. Ergo Montreal making it to the Stanley cup final with this past year. Sure. Right. Um, so anything can happen once you get there. So get to the playoffs and then see what, and then see where you're at. Are you a hot team going into the playoffs? Did you limp into the playoffs? Did you backdoor your way in there? Uh, are you going to match up against the you know whoever you're playing in the first round? Is it a good matchup for you? Is it a bad matchup for you? There's a lot of things that kind you know kind of play into everything. What happens during the season? Do you add a, a piece or two before the deadline that makes you even better? Um, do you have a, a crushing injury to a star player? Like there's a lot of things that go into it. Just get to the playoffs, and I think this is a playoff team. And then we'll take it from there. So uh, that's what I think this team is. That's better. So is it better than last year? Yes. Is it better than it was two years ago? Yeah, maybe. We don't know yet. Yeah. I think that there, there is plenty of reason to believe that this team is at least as good as the team from two years ago. But it's also important to point out that that team, I don't think was as good as that ridiculous run that they were in the midst of. And I'm, I'm still not convinced that they would have continued that into the playoffs. I'm just not. I could be right. It could be wrong. We'll never know. Hypotheticals. Um, last question. JD Kent over on Instagram asked, will we see a live, not from press row, show before the season starts? Like us? Yeah, like are we going to do a show, a Snow the Goalie, not a press row show, but a Snow the Goalie? Are we going to do a live show? Could you envision a scenario or an announcement maybe that we want to make live? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I could. I, could I see it? 
Yeah, I mean, I know that there's been some discussion of this, so um, nothing's been finalized on that front yet. But uh, yeah, Justin, I, I think that that could that could happen. I think that there are a few things that we're going to have in the works that are going to make people excited. And by the way, I think that um, assuming that some of the things that we're expecting to uh, work out here in the next few weeks are to come to fruition, I think that we're going to have more and more opportunities to maybe get out and and meet some of the people who listen to the show. Perhaps a small nugget. Perhaps. All right, let's uh, get to a couple five-star reviews before we head out here. We actually picked up a few again. It's been, uh, like I said at the the start of the show, we're always happy with this. And I think anybody who's in our position will be happy to see five-star reviews coming in and to feel good about the fact that people are either coming back and giving the show another shot or people who have been here for the entire journey or some people who just found us in the last couple of weeks uh, because of guests that we've had on and are happy to be part of the family now. So let's go to, um, this one's from Look What Zach Said. Five stars. Oh, yes! Pretty sure I've already given you guys a five-star review here before, but hey, let's do another. Thank you guys so much for an amazing coverage of our favorite hockey team. Anthony and Russ do an amazing job and bring superb insight to all things Flyers. I only wish you guys could record more frequently. Thanks again, Zach from Pottstown, PA. It has to be a relative of yours, right? No, that's Potts. I, I grew up in Pottsville. Zach is from Pottstown. Oh. There's Pottsville, Pottstown, and Potts Grove. There are three Potts. Which is more than your mother had in a kitchen, Anthony. Boom! I don't know. That's not even... I don't know what that was. All right. Um, Emily's 917 says, Another fabulous episode. Anthony and Russ are the perfect podcast to listen to while driving to and from work and even at work. Both are very knowledgeable, and I look forward to each episode. Keep up the amazing episodes, Anthony and Russ. I think it's Emily S. I think you're not right. Emily's. Yeah. Well, that would listen, suggest that there's it's, multiple it's, Emily's. Maybe there are multiple Emily's. Maybe there's Emily and Emily, and they wanted to write a review together. <laughs> well, thanks, no, but, Emily. Emily, don't get in trouble listening to the podcast at work. No, listen okay? at work. Do listen at work. If you do listen at work, make sure that you tell everybody you work with, any customers or anybody else who comes through. You know, just we'll even send you a magnet. We can get we can get a snow the goalie magnet sent out your way. You can put it up on a cubicle, put it wherever, and you can tell everybody about the Only Flyers podcast. Um, next one we have is Best Flyers Podcast from A-G-N-N-S-D. How would you say that? Agnesd. I've been listening for a while now. Definitely the one podcast I, I look forward to every week to listen to, especially as I'm an aspiring hockey writer analyst. You guys truly give me a different perspective when thinking sometimes for my writing and hope one day I will be as successful at it as you guys are. Cheers, boys. Well, isn't that nice? We're molding, nice. young, molding young minds, Russ. Molding the minds. God help us. God help society. All right. And then the last one is from Lizzie Lit. Climbing in the standings. Anthony, you ready for this one? Snow the goalie has quickly made a huge jump as my preferred Flyers podcast recently, especially since the Chuck Fletcher interview. I was pleasantly surprised about how candid he was. It should be especially considered... Uh, sorry, it should especially be considered that the interview took place right after a press conference that was relatively uneventful and before the interview with the NHL network in which he was as ca- he was candid about similar topics. The longer interviews last summer, especially with Pronger and Briere, were good, and I hope to hear more before the season starts. Anthony and Russ have turned at least one occasional listener into a full time listener. That's an astute observation by Lizzie. It is. It's very good. Yeah. I guess I think I think she'll be a little happy 
to hear. Well, I, mean, I could say this, Russ. Here's something. We you, get, you, you hey, I, I could put a little something out. I could put a little little something. little yes. nugget. We're good at putting nuggets out. I could put this nugget out. Go ahead. We've teased in the past mm-hmm. that we've had, you know, when we had a, a, a good guest on, it's mm-hmm. the biggest guest we've ever had, right? Mm-hmm. I think you've used that when you described getting Pronger yep. on the show. I think you used it when we had um, AV. I think you used it when we had Fletcher on a couple weeks I think back. I used it when we had Briere on because Briere was May before have, Pronger, I believe. Yep. Might have yeah. done it with Briere, right? Bobby Clark, who came yeah. on and talked about beer a whole lot. Yeah, a lot of beer yeah. conversation. Oh, yeah, just got to go out there on a boat, go fishing, not really catch any fish, have some beer. I'm going to announce right now that before the end of the month, Ooh. we will have the biggest guest we've ever had on Snow the Goalie. Already been I know- confirmed. Well, yeah, I know who it is, and I would say... It's hard to say it's not. I'd say it's the top two. It's conservatively a top two. I think Pronger's a really hard... I, a pro- Pronger, uh, but see, Pronger was great. Pronger's is his... But he's his like was, his own level. His was, his was more about the past, right? If yeah. we're talking about the current Flyers and, and the sure. team and the future and everything else... This is the biggest guest we've. Yeah, you can't had. you can't get much bigger. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah. Hey, but you know what? I I do appreciate Lizzie. I appreciate the fact that Lizzie went from being an occasional listener to a full time listener. When I what again? When I look at our listener numbers, episode to episode, and I look at unique listeners over the past month, the past three months, the past eight months, the numbers we've done are insane, and I feel very oddly good about it. I feel like it's a um, an indication that people are catching on to where some solid coverage is and where people can find um, can find a, a reliable source of information for people who are looking for information about the Flyers and who can, by the way, find interviews with um, players, coaches, front office people, both present and past who ask questions that are, I don't know, sometimes we're on hockey, sometimes we're off hockey. We ask a lot of different questions. I think, like, honestly, if if I think back to some of the better interviews that we've done and some of the better interviews that I've heard, uh, I don't know, over the course of however many years we've done this and and I've listened to podcasts, I think if, if you listen to a show and you listen to an interview and you get access to somebody at, at the level of some of the people that we've been lucky and, and fortunate enough to have because – uh, Flyers PR staff are great in, in getting us some of these people in the NHL Alumni Association has been great in getting us some of these people. And then you, of course, with your connections, have have gotten a number of people. I think the best interviews are the ones where. The, the questions are unique, like if, if you listen to an interview and you feel like 80 or 90 percent of the questions that are being asked of a subject are plug and play for any person or for any. um anybody who's like in that respective role with any of the other teams, then I think that you're, you're kind of doing like a mini press conference. And the one thing that I, I can definitely say about the, the ones that we've done, um, especially in the last year and a half are that the way that we try to approach interviews are fun, are informative and try to give a, a peek at the, the human side of things. Um, 
And there are sometimes we have questions that are hard hitting, uh, but we try to do it in a, in a fun and jovial way. And I think that you go back and you listen to that Chuck Fletcher interview that we did. He really, the, the candid nature that we thought um, immediately after, when you go back and you listen to it, and I did a couple of days ago, you really do kind of see that he outlined for us a lot of what the offseason was going to be mm-hmm. without saying the specific names. Like he really did kind of lay out the roadmap and he executed that plan on that flow chart very, very well. So I feel like that's a, that's a nice thing. So I'm, I'm glad that Lizzie went from being an occasional listener to a full-time listener. And um, I'm glad that there are people, a large number of people who stick through the entire episode and participate uh, in some of the late things that we do on some of the shows, which is kind of a hint to those who might not have finished last week's episode. You might want to go back and listen. You can still be eligible to uh, partake because I didn't pick a winner for this week. So it's just a, just a thought throwing it out there. Anthony, anything else you want to talk about before we head out? Yeah, there's, there's nothing I, I really want to talk about Ross. I think that, uh, I think that was a good, uh, good wrap up to, um, to the episode. I think, you know, yep. you do a nice job um, in those interviews. I, I, I think I've told you this as, as much as you drive me crazy with your long rants um, <laughs> and, and leave me sitting here banging my head against the wall. Um, I, I do think that when we are um, in those interviews, I think that we are at our best um, mm-hmm. because, because of the, of the way we tend to, ask questions and interview people. I think that that's when we are at our best and that's not patting ourselves on the back. I I think that every person who does what we do has strengths and weaknesses. And I can certainly go over my weaknesses. I have plenty of them. Um, But if I had to identify a strength, I think it's the way we talk to people and the way we interview people. And I think that that's why we get so much, so many great tidbits out of these guests when they come on our show Um, because of how, how, we make them feel comfortable and, uh, and, and how they, uh, you know, they're willing to tell us things based off of the way we ask the questions. So, yeah. And I think one of the nice things that we're, is we're adaptable. We can adapt to situations and sometimes things change. And I can tell people that not only have we adapted in the past, but we certainly could adapt in the future. If, you know, a reason ever presented itself. So with that being said, yeah. Can we like have a musical outro? Like, what do you want? Is this the Sheila song again? <laughs> it's not the Sheila song. All right. Before again. you do the, the musical outro, just want to remind people don't forget, you can follow us over on Twitter at Aunt San Philly, at Joanne Broad, at Snow the Goalie, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. You can read about any flyers related topics that come up over on CrossingBroad.com. And of course, you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure that you subscribe. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Amazon Music, make sure that you hit the follow button. If you're on Spotify, um, make sure you follow the show. It's it's greatly appreciated. We like to interact, especially on Twitter. Um, I'm going to try to bolster what we're doing over on Instagram and Facebook. They've kind of fallen by the wayside in the last few weeks, but don't worry. We'll get them back up and running. Everything will be great. I guess Anthony's going to play some outro music. So thanks for listening. Don't forget all of the links that we mentioned are available in the description of this episode. You can click on it. You can follow us there. You can find uh, the podcast on whatever app, even if you're like listening on Apple Podcasts right now, but you prefer to listen on Spotify. That link is also in the description. Give it a give it a check. All right, go ahead, Ant.
Sand Cat.